Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. We've got a great interview for you today. I mean, it's all about STEM and we're so excited. But before we get into that, here's a quick word from our friends over at ECIS. Coming up very soon from ECIS is the DEIJ Leadership Development Cohort. There are 20 available places you can apply today. That deadline is the 20th of June. The ECIS DEIJ Leadership Development Cohort is designed for international school educators interested in the opportunity to join a learning community of individuals who seek to deepen their understanding and strengthen their work in the area of diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. The cohort experience will allow participants to grow from a multitude of perspectives while being a part of a learning community where vulnerability is supported and encouraged. This is being facilitated by Jessica Delgado and James Duvall. Head over to the show notes to learn more or visit www.ecis.org to learn more. Or for those of you on Twitter, follow at ECIS underscore DEIJ for more. Again, the link to that account will also be available in the show notes. Trisha, great to have you back. Jeff, I'm so excited about our guest. Um, when we when we contacted this person, I don't know that I was expecting a response. They generously did get back to us and said, sure, I will come on the program. Um, I like had to go and lie down for a moment because I couldn't believe we were actually <laughs> going to get to speak to Mr. Fascinate. Yeah, that's right. Mr. Fascinate, Justin uh, Schaefer is uh, a STEM communicator and we get talking about that. Uh, what, what is his job? But uh, all you need to do is if you want to, you can pause this episode, head over to any Google search and type in Mr. Fascinate and you will have uh, a, an incredible uh, incredible communicator that is creating stuff for students. I love that his tagline, and we talk about this a lot, his phrase that he loves to use is, I want to create for STEM what ESPN is for sports. Yes. And I I mean, honestly, I, I think for folks who go and they're they're looking through his website, they're looking through the many different productions that he's been a part of, all of the different projects that he's been putting out. I feel like, Justin, congratulations, you you have created for STEM what ESPN is for sports. Uh, you, you know, again, anybody who has a young person in their life who at all is interested in STEM or you've got someone in your life that you want them to be thinking about the potential and the possibilities of STEM, the work of Justin, it just again, get them following Justin, have them check out one of his many, many keynotes. Um, you know, again, he's just a remarkable person, I think, amplifying what STEM is and just inspiring the next generation of leaders in STEM. 
Yeah. We spend a lot of time in this episode talking about Gen Z, some of the things that he's seen with this generation. And I really love that he goes into depth. You know, he has his pulse on what are some of those new age careers that we need to be preparing students for when we talk about preparing students for their future and not our past. Uh, so be listening for that and be thinking about, okay, well, what does this mean for me in my classroom? What are the skills that I can work on as a ELA teacher, a math teacher, a PE teacher? What are the things in here? When we talk about these future skills, these future jobs, these kids are going to need. What does that What does that mean for me? What can you take away from this episode uh, as we talk about this generation and the future that they have in front of them? I'm glad you mentioned that, Jeff, because if anybody uh, you know who's listening at the top is hearing STEM, 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 and they're thinking, "Oh, I teach ELA," or "I'm a counselor," this episode is not for me. You're wrong. This episode yeah. is very much for you, and I super appreciate. Justin will also talk about just how important soft skills are. So this really is, I, I would say, a holistic education conversation um, that that really does get us thinking about future career pathways and what it means to um, to be thinking about ways that we can inspire that next generation. Yeah, it's a great one. You're going to love it. You're going to want to listen to it all the way to the end. Uh, just great tidbits throughout from just an incredible science communicator. And with that, here's Mr. Fascinate all about STEM and being a science communicator. And with that, on with the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm pumped for this episode. This is going to be awesome. Mr. Fascinate himself is here with us over Zoom. Trisha, always good to see you. My co-host Trisha Freeman's here. Trisha, how are you today? I am doing well. Good to see you, Jeff. I'm also really, really excited about this conversation. You know, my work has not typically been in the world of STEM, but today's guest is someone who has, you know, really made me feel inspired. I wish I could go back in time and, and do more work with STEM. So I think listeners, you're in for a real treat. This is awesome. Justin, thank you so much for being here. We'll jump right in. Talk to us a little bit about your professional learning journey, what you're doing to now, and where did Mr. Fascinate come from? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jeff. So I'll actually start off with that last question that you asked. So I actually was volunteering in museums in D.C. Uh, with Smithsonian, and I believe it was the Marion Coastland Science Museum. This is how my whole journey started. Wow. I was like, look, I want to make science more relevant for kids. I feel like it's not that cool to them. And so I was kind of using exhibits and I recognized that the kids would kind of just walk past the exhibits and not really read the science or they wouldn't really engage with it unless there was something hands on. And so I kind of stood there as this middleman to engage the kids. And I was like wrapping off of the science exhibits and just being over the top, super engaging. And I called myself Mr. Interesting at the time. And uh, I was like, I don't know if that has enough swag to it. So I was like, I'm going to call myself Mr. Fascinate. And uh, <laughs> then, I, you know, I started calling myself Mr. Fascinate. It stuck with the kids. Uh, you know, people kept coming back and saying, when is Mr. Fascinate going to, you know, volunteer at our museum again? And so I'm like, awesome. OK, I think we're on to something here. And lo and behold, a few months later, changed my Instagram handle to Mr. Fascinate. And I left my job, which was tech at the time, to start uh, my work and exciting the next generation about STEM. And like I said, happy to kind of start from the beginning of that journey as well. That's awesome. I mean, I, the, the other sort of catchphrase that anybody who's following you, I think, is familiar with is, I want, to create I want to create for STEM what ESPN is for sports. And it really does seem like that's what you are doing. Justin, you've been a part of so many different STEM-focused productions. I mean, again, we, we're going to have 
links in the show notes that will take folks over just to to show them like the the remarkable diversity of of what you've been a part of. And I'm wondering when you think back to some of the different stories that you're telling and amplifying from the world of STEM, um, which one now really resonates with you the most in terms of the response from the audience? And I'm wondering if that kind of connects back to what motivated you um, as a science communicator and and again, as Mr. Fascinate. Yeah, uh, so I think there's a lot there, Trisha. Thank you. Uh, so one, I mean, first and foremost, like I said, I want to be for STEM what ESPN is for sports. And I think the primary issue with STEM, what I've recognized in my past few years doing this work, is glamorization. Mm. So often uh, STEM is just not presented as cool, right? But you got young kids. Uh, STEM, STEM isn't easy. We all know that. But neither is a career as an NBA player or neither is a career as a musician at the top of their game. Right. But because we have these platforms like MTV, like ESPN, that glamorize these career paths for these students. And we have people in these career fields that are outward facing, outspoken ambassadors. Right. These athletes mm. that dress nice and drive these nice cars or these musicians that wear these you know, outrageous outfits. It shows people how cool these careers can be, and it gives young kids the intrinsic motivation that they might need to succeed in a career like that. But with STEM, we have next to no glamorization, and that's partially a cultural thing. Uh, and so, you know, one of the stories that I like to tell is actually one from my first couple of years in, um, in, in entrepreneurship and figuring out this whole STEM thing. So I was in New York City, and a young colleague of mine at the time uh, he was 20 years old. He actually came on hard times. He started off as a freshman in college, but had to drop out for financial reasons. And, uh, you know, this young guy, I was probably like 23, 24 at the time. So a few years ahead of him, a little more established, but also still figuring my life out. Right. But he comes to me with a prototype that he's created on his keyboard or on his laptop, rather, for a hoverboard. Whoa. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What? This kid, is, he's ahead of his time. And so I find out that his full-time job is actually moving furniture. Uh, and so he's been struggling with bouts of homelessness and things like that. And, um, you know, he thought like, look, this is just something cool that, you know, uh, a friend of mine told me about your work and he thought I should share it with you. But I don't know, it's just kind of stuff I do for fun. And I said, dude, you could make a career out of this. Like you could use your brain to this is you have a beautiful mind, man. Like you could literally use a brain. To, to create things like this as a full-time job and, and make a lot more money than you are moving furniture. And, um, and so, like I said, he was struggling at the time. And so he kind of didn't see that that was actually, actually a career path. So I ended up making him the lead of my summer tech program that I ran. Uh, and he's like, works with all these young kids. And he sees that one, he can empower young kids and make them feel relatable or, or make them relate to him. Um, but also that, he got an opportunity to present his work at MIT later and then got a wow. follow-up internship with them and now has a sustainable career path, um, you know, with making these tech gadgets and, and creating these ideas. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, the, the moral of that story is that, you know, a lot of times we look at STEM as, you know, this amalgamation of fun facts that we beat people over the head with about igneous and metamorphic rocks or maybe <laughs> transistors and circuits. But that isn't necessarily the essence of what STEM is to me. Uh, what I always uh, say to young people that are maybe on the fence about being interested in STEM is that STEM is a specific set of tools that you can learn to solve problems that you care about. And mm. with Amazia, you know, he was able to 
leverage the skill set that he acquired to solve problems that he cared about in his community. And, you know, so often, like I said, when I, my work started, I worked with a lot of socioeconomically disadvantaged youth. And one of the kids told me in one of the programs, hey, I'm trying to help my mom put food on the table. You know, why should I learn about organic chemistry? I got some really advanced science and it seems like it doesn't have any application in my life. I said, cooking is organic chemistry, right? Uh, and there are so many ways that you can learn how to empower yourself with these skills. So many financial opportunities out there to get full scholarships. I'm a, uh, an example of that success story. Uh, and, you know, my, my example is not unique. And so I just try to spread my, my nerdy love for STEM in a way that um, I know not everybody's just a pure nerd for the sake of information like I am, but anyone should be able to see themselves in one of these career fields. And so, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about this, Trisha. <laughs> uh, I, I just love it. And I love like, uh, you know, your whole example there of like MTV and ESPN and, and what, you know, kids are like, I'm thinking my generation, right? Like I'm thinking like, I never would have put like NASA television. Like no, nobody ever went to school and was like, dude, did you watch NASA television last night? You know, that's just not where we geeked out. But, you know, I think one of the things I love is that we now have all these platforms and it gives people like you a voice to reach these kids where they are, you know, whether that's through YouTube or Instagram or, you know, name your social media of choice. We have ways of, of being able to connect with kids where they are and not just trying to compete with MTV or ESPN. Right. And I think that is that is so powerful. And you've done such a great job of harnessing that. And I just really appreciate that. You know, on a, on a recent episode of uh, the Film Nut podcast, you talked about the role that the matrix played in inspiring you. And I'd love to hear more about that. And also where do you go to get inspired? Like that's, that's maybe from your childhood, but where today, like what, where, where do you go geek out? Yeah. So uh, actually yeah, my guy, Taylor, shout out to him. He's one of the greatest video editors I know. He actually chopped up that my reel as well. Uh, and so we actually did that podcast together afterwards. The matrix is my favorite trilogy of all time. Awesome. I think I saw it when I was like, I probably saw the first episode or the, sorry, the first movie uh, when I was nine years old. And I mean, you know, I wasn't like a super advanced kid, but I guess I was a little ahead of my time. And I just remember being like blown away by this concept that like you can do anything you put your mind to. And like all these perceptions of what we think is real is just electrical signals going into your brain. And like, you know, what's real is what you determine. And, uh, and so these kind of concepts were really powerful for me. I mean, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I was a young kid that I didn't always see, uh, especially as it pertains to STEM, opportunities to pursue success in a field like this. Um, but, you know, this was one of those really nerdy concepts that like, grabbed me very early on. And I had this whole stint where I was actually a bad kid, quote unquote, uh, yeah. where I, you know, I had bad grades in high school. I was the leader of the bad kids. I was a class clown. <laughs> My Twitter name I always say was at what that booty do. So I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was I was very much a class clown. And, um, you know, for a long time, I wanted to pursue interest in these things, but I didn't really see a career path. And so I kept it secret. But The Matrix is one of those things I rewatched over and over again to inspire me to think differently about the world. These days, I feel like I'm like I said in that podcast, I'm the Morpheus for the next generation of young kids where I'm unlocking their potential, opening their minds to this whole new world that I feel like I live in today that I didn't think existed or was possible in the past. I'd say, you know, for current inspiration, um, I mean, I just, I, I look at Generation Z kids, you know, I, um, 
I, I listen to the kids that I do speak, you know, speak in front of. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, I get brought up to speak in front of hundreds of kids. And I think a lot of other speakers, they have a style of just talking at the kids for a long time. Uh, lecture, like a 30 minute lecture. Right. And my approach is a lot more give and take. I think Gen Z kids are always on the cutting edge of something. And no matter what the group is, there's something I can learn from. So, you know, I usually show up an hour before the keynote and just be sitting there talking to the kids, learning from them. And that's kind of how I stay ahead of the curve as it pertains to innovative stuff, even though I'm starting to get out of that age of being hip and in the know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I still know all the cool dances, man. I still know all the cool apps. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of staying on the pulse because of Gen Z kids. Yeah. Well, and it, just, trust me, it only gets it only gets harder when you get older. <laughs> and it gets it gets uh, the, it the gets rate at the rate at which it gets harder then all of a sudden really kind of um yeah, yeah flips you know, once you hit forty. <laughs> yeah, I I realized like you have to really do the dance right. Because if you like yeah. try to do it hard and you do it wrong, then you just get completely laughed at. But if you learn the <laughs> dance move, then you're the man. So yeah, that's right. The very thin line there. That's 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 a real street cred with Gen Z for sure. <laughs> Well, and Justin, what you were mentioning there reminds me of a TEDx talk that you've given as well that, again, references just paying attention to your audience and you really very clearly have hooked into something. And what I admire so much is that your success, what you're doing with your success is really stepping back and saying, okay, so now how do I inspire the next generation? And that's so admirable. We'll be sure to link in that TEDx talk as well as a fantastic segment that was on ABC News where you're talking about what we need to do to inspire that next generation of STEM leaders. And we so desperately need that, right? I, I really do think a lot of the big issues that we are facing, um, we need just giants in STEM. You talk about the many different career pathways that can be pursued. What is a field in STEM that you think we really need to be watching much more closely in the next few years and, and thinking in the world of education? How do we prepare students? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I know that times have changed remarkably uh, just in the past 10 years that pertains to the information age, the amount of access that we have to information and, you know, what career paths actually make sense because of that. And you know, a lot of times Gen Z kids are super able to inform themselves when they are pointed in the right direction. Their ability to do self-directed learning is bar none. Um, but I think one of the career paths is, uh, and this actually pertains to STEM, but it actually is a little broader than STEM, uh, is creative career paths, right? It's, it's right now, artificial intelligence uh, is getting more and more powerful and more and more equipped at taking over previous careers. There are products like copy.ai that I was actually just working with on another project where you can type in one sentence and then it can tell you, give you a whole story, right? So, you know, say goodbye to the need for creating an original essay because this thing can literally do that from a sentence. Uh, and so there's all kinds of AI products out there that are coming out that are literally making obsolete the traditional things that students used to be learning in the classroom. But creativity is hard to replicate in the same way uh, that human, human creativity is hard to replicate in the same way that AI creativity works. Mm. And so because of that, I think being creative today is more lucrative now than it's ever been in the past. You know, you don't have to be a starving artist. There's things out there like NFT collections, uh, which I actually just released one uh, a couple of months ago uh, with some artist friends of mine, where you can actually uh, sell art online and make passive income off of that in perpetuity. So 
you have this new generation of artists that are empowered to mm-hmm. share their knowledge base. And I mean, that's just one piece of it. I mean, there's a ton of other career fields that are opening up uh, in, in science uh, and, and genomics research and nanotechnology, 3D printing, blockchain, the metaverse. Um, I know we're going to probably take a deeper dive into that a little bit later, but you know, these kinds of careers can't, they need, we need creative people. You don't just need the pure uh, info and data files, right? The folks that we traditionally view as nerds or geeks. Uh, we need people that are, you know, leaders. We need people that are creative people. We need dancers. We need people that are fashion, that have an eye for aesthetics. All of these career paths are really important as it pertains to STEM. Like you think about, okay, here's a, here's a really good example. User experience. Um, every single application, like we're, we're doing this interview on Zoom right now. This was designed by an artistic person that uh, also understand psychology and how to make something easy to use. These are all important skill sets that, you know, kids today need to be learning in the classroom. Um, one last one I want to touch on, personal branding. Uh, I always say in a lot of my keynotes, personal brands are the new job security, right? Like today on digital platforms like LinkedIn or Instagram or any of the, these places, You can build credibility as a creative person or as a thought leader or as a scientist or as a mechanic on the Internet. And that can be good for your business that can keep you surviving in hard times like COVID, which we recently experienced. So that's just a little bit, man. I can like I said, I can can keep going. (laughs) I I I love it. I love it. Go, Trisha. Let, let, let. I, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put so it. I'm so curious because, I mean, <laughs> you know, again, th- those who have seen your work and are are familiar with you on on social media, I think would argue and say, Justin, you are doing such an amazing job of that. Like the the brand that you have built, and again, going back to that that catchphrase, I want to create for STEM what ESPN is for sports. I feel like you're doing it. So for for you um, and your own personal brand. What advice then might you have? Like, what's been an intentional decision that you've made with what you want your brand to feel like? Because mm-hmm. again, for anybody who visits your website, you go to that space and it is just, it, it's, you have an emotive response to it. It's exciting. And I would just love for you to maybe go a little bit um, underneath the surface, if you will. Like, yeah. what are some choices that you've, that you've made intentionally? Yeah, and I think uh, Trisha has been years in the making. You know, I started off and all of my personal brand assets were ugly. (laughs) All of my graphic designs, like I I learned graphic design originally. I taught myself a lot of these skills on YouTube at first uh, and then later went into the kind of Adobe Creative Suite. Um, But I realized that I needed to establish myself as credible in the space. When I started my work in STEM, I was 22 years old with a Bachelor of Science in Marine Environmental Science. And... Um, you know, I didn't have a ton of credibility in the space. So I'm like, okay, how do I allow people to view me as a credible resource, maybe without making the sacrifices I have to make to get like, you know, spend a lot of money to get education, spend a lot of money for certifications. And so a lot of these choices to do things that you referred to, like my TEDx talk or getting features on these major publications uh, were decisions that would eventually give me credibility in the space. I knew I was passionate. Mm-hmm. I knew I had a perspective that people would be interested in. But I knew in order for them to listen, I needed to have credibility with known brands. I needed to have credibility with um, things, you know, and and brands can be stuff like TEDx. They can be news outlets. They can also be clients that you've worked with. And so um, every time I did a project, whether that be uh, volunteer work, whether that be speaking on a platform, whether that be, uh, you know, shooting a video project for a major network, 
I always took the extra, went the extra mile and hired someone to capture media footage of me in that moment. Mm. And, you know, that was a huge investment that I made that paid dividends years later, because now we're in 2022. I started in 2017. I have terabytes upon terabytes of content that I can repurpose. Um, and so when it came to my website, right, when I hired a designer to make my website, finally, after doing everything myself for years, I hired a designer to create the brand. I already had everything I wanted refined um, because I had tested a lot of these pieces of content on my audience on social media. I use it as this laboratory environment of sorts and a social science experiment where I saw what got the strongest reactions. And so most of the images that got the strongest reactions from people and the video clips that got the strongest reactions from people are concentrated on my website in the forms of both my reel and um, pretty much all the other, you know, uh, photographic materials that you see. And so, you know, that is kind of gives the result that you see on my website today. What I love, like, and Trisha, you like we've we more the more creative people that we talk to on this podcast, the more there is this this same story of I started out creating something, it was dead ugly, and then I improved it. And then after a while, that was better, but that got ugly. So then I improved it again. Right. Like, and what I love, Justin, is you're like, you know, we, we are in this, we're in this moment where being a creator gives you all this power, but you don't just wake up one day and become Mr. Fascinate on the web doing ABC and Ted talks. Like there is this intentional growth and growth mindset of, I'm just going to make it. And even if it's not the best website, I'm going to make it and I'm going to get the video and I'm going to just keep going. And you make little tweaks and little tweaks and little tweaks and all those little tweaks add up to now you are Mr. Fascinate, right? And you're, you're everywhere. And, and all of a sudden you don't work at it anymore. But I think that is so hard. You know, when we talk about your quote, you know, wanting to create STEM for what ESPN is for sports, one thing I think is really hard is kids go and watch, you know, LeBron James and just think like, oh, well, one day you get to become that. Nobody gets to see the hours of practice still today that Steph Curry does, right? Like nobody sees the hours behind the scenes that it takes to be that creative person. And I think that it's so great when you get to tell your story of, you know, one day I opened up Adobe, you know, suites. Like before that, I didn't even know. Like you just, you, you got to keep creating. And I think that it's just, it, it's that storyline that we hear again and again. How yeah. do you help kids with that? What, what do you see with kids? And like just getting them, like start creating stuff. I don't care what it is. Create something. Yeah. Oh, I always say, uh, and, and this is actually an interesting stat that I heard. I Don't quote me on this, but I, I heard it. It's like 90% of podcasts actually stop after episode five. I yeah. guess there's no episode six. So I don't know. I don't know if you all might want to fact check me on that later. But I thought that was really interesting. But I, what, what I encourage kids to do is just keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times we get in this room, the stage of planning because we don't want our things to look ugly. It's okay for your first draft to be ugly on the Internet. Your first draft can't, you know, and academia doesn't teach us that, right? Right, we always, exactly. We always taught our first draft should be pretty strong. Um, we can actually come up with a pretty weak one and we'll get the feedback we need to make it stronger. Uh, and so what I always tell creative people, young or, or even folks that are you know, older than me, but are trying to start on this creative journey mm. is that as a creative person, you have creative tastes, right? Mm. But you don't necessarily have creative skills. And what that means is that, you know, for the first few years of your work, you might find yourself perpetually dissatisfied with your output. I know I certainly did. But I knew that I was upskilling at the time 
and developing the skill set I would need to actually achieve my creative taste. Because I had this vision for what I think it should look like, but I just wasn't good enough. I didn't know the mm. right people that could help me get good enough. And so over time, my skills are getting better. I'm meeting new creative people. I'm getting creative inspiration. But that doesn't come from just planning. That doesn't come from sitting still. You have to go to the gym. You have to get your reps in. You have to run a couple miles every day. And then eventually you're positioned to, to run the marathon. And, um, you know, I always try to empower people to just look. It doesn't matter how ugly this next one comes out. You have to for, like like a, like a marathon. You have to set up a pace that you can continue to comfortably commit to. And you just do it over and over and over and over again. And most people just don't get past episode five. A metaphorically yeah, so speaking, true. Since we don't know. I love it. Statistically true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, in, in your bio, you refer to yourself as a science communicator. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Like, and, yeah. and what does that mean? And is this is this one of those, like, is this a new role, a, a new pathway for kids? So I would say that uh, it's historically been a pretty closed off role that was only reserved for a few people. So science communication is a broad field that basically refers to anyone that popularizes, shares, or informs people about science in the public usually is usually a public facing position so sure you have science journalists that write for articles like nat geo or uh, science or discovery you have the hosts on tv uh, that actually you know and that, that's kind of the work i do where you, you talk about science you make it cool you popularize it you have the producers that are making sure that uh, things are being told in this accurate storytelling format which is now what i'm getting into as well uh, and so, you know, all of these facets are important. And one of the most important things for most science communicators is to be science literate in the first place. And so a lot of yeah. them have backgrounds in science degrees or at least some kind of graduate level degree in science, um, because there's a level of integrity that comes into the communication of science that's necessary to uphold. Now, sure. uh, the most popular examples of science communicators uh, that we probably know today, Bill Nye, the science guy. I actually yeah. just had an event with him last weekend uh, in D.C. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so Bill Nye, the science guy, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist. Um, there's also um, Carl Sagan for the, I don't know how, you know, the age range of your listeners. Carl yeah. Sagan was kind of the, the precursor to them. Uh, and there's many more before that. But um, what historically, you know, for science communicators it used to be that this was limited to like cable television. And so hmm. uh, because there's a, just literally a limited number of network slots, there can be a lim limited number of people communicating science. And so what that created was these small amount of big stars at the top that become the voice of science. Uh, Bill Nye being one of them, Neil deGrasse Tyson being another. And unfortunately, uh, because of how multifaceted science is, you could have a PhD in chemistry, but know next to nothing about environmental science or physics. Right. Or you might know a little bit about physics, but, uh, you know, you all get the point that, that these these things are so siloed and nuanced that there should not be a single voice of science. And I think mm. what today uh, has been made possible because of the decentralized nature of social media is all of these young up and coming scientists that are communicating science in their specific expertise. Uh, and so that's the beautiful thing um, about about this next generation of science communicators. And it is definitely a possible career path. When I embarked on this journey, I knew no science communicators in person, right? I had a wow. background in science. Um, I was encouraged to pursue a career in research because they said I had a mind for science, but I liked public facing work. I was actually student body president in college. And so kind of had this weird combination of working in science labs and then like talking to the public. And I was like, I don't know yeah, what cool. to do with that. 
Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, finally, I kind of arrived at this, but there's no, I mean, you can get a degree in it. Um, but again, the, the science communication is more of a meritocracy, meaning it's all about the amount of uh, work that you put out and the caliber of the work that you put out. Uh, and it's like, what have you done? You know, what, what cool projects have you worked on? And so, um, yeah, it's definitely a possible career path for kids that might be a little science literate, a little on the creative side and, you know, like talking about science. When I was a kid, I loved talking about, you know, the moons of Jupiter or, you know, yeah. um, the orbit of the planets. And on the south side of Chicago, that's basically not something you should probably bring up, by the way, uh, especially <laughs> when there's like sports games playing and stuff. But, you know, that love, that childlike love and curiosity is what brought me into this career path and a little bit of hustle. Uh, yeah, well, bit. and, you know, both of those things come through in all of the work that you do, you know, for our educator audience, if you've got a student who, you know, again, they've got that love for science, um, they're not sure what they're going to do, point them to Justin's work, because you really are directing us to so many different potential pathways. And, you know, again, as you were mentioning earlier, there's a lot of different career pathways with STEM. And I think, you know, that the we're going to see more and more of them. Back on episode 196, we actually, um, we were chatting with somebody who works with Rubella, which is a virtual world where folks go there to work. Um, and when I spoke with Sherry, who works for Rubella, she had explained to me that when she did her job interview, the job interview was in that virtual world, which, you know, like that's that's kind of cool. And um, yeah. again, I know that you you just have your your thumb on the pulse of of innovative technologies and what we're going to see in the job market. What else do you think that schools could be doing, um, you know, today, now, next year to be pointing students in the direction of all of these different emerging fields? Because I, I you know, I really I think we, we can't help direct and inspire and guide if we're completely unaware of their existence? Yeah, I think that is a multifaceted question, Trisha. I'm going to take a stab at it. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, there's a lot of, you know, because of my work at, you know, doing science TV shows, I've gotten exposure to a number of tech companies and innovative folks that are at the bleeding edge of innovation and progress. And so uh, because of that, I kind of see, at least for the next few years, what's coming down the pipe and what jobs will be needed to make those things become reality. And so uh, one of the most fundamental technologies I brought it up before uh, that I think is important for kids to understand is artificial intelligence. Mm. Um, they should be able to use artificial intelligence. They should be able to use artificial intelligence platforms. I mentioned copy.ai. There's a bunch of other really cool ones out there for young kids. I think understanding coding is, is important as well. So like Scratch from MIT. But here's the thing about coding. And this is, like I said, this is more on the cutting edge. There's a lot of platforms out there called no code platforms. I don't know. Are you all familiar with no code? Okay, great. Okay. So Jeff is. All right. So I am. Yeah. So no, there's no code platforms out there now like bubble.io, which I actually built a project out uh, with some friend of, friends of mine. I built an app that's gamifying STEM education. And um, this is a platform that uh, essentially you don't need to understand anything about code. You just need to almost like a website builder, like Squarespace or Wix, you can just put the tiles together in the right place and it'll create the code to make that execute properly, right? And so the future of a lot of these coding projects may become, um, well, first of all, the back end of it might be so advanced that it would be almost impossible for us to code in the first place. Um, but the front end is now becoming so user-friendly 
with us literally having these like app builder websites out there um, that we may not need to learn code, but we just need, may need to understand how it works and executes if we need to do something that that site can't do. Uh, and so AI is one of those fundamentally disruptive technologies that's going to change, uh, you know, autonomous vehicle driving. It's going to send, it already has helped to send rockets uh, commercially uh, across the planet and, you know, in the near future to, to the moon and beyond. Um, and I mean, there's things like 3D printing when we mix with AI technology, uh, they are changing the game, right? There's houses you can get out there now for $10,000 that are, you know, have better insulation and they're more environmentally friendly. And so these are the things that are coming down the pipe. Uh, one of the other things, I mean, I, I love to talk about blockchain technology and the metaverse, right? Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of talk about the metaverse, there's a lot of hype about the metaverse. But what I foresee um, from an economic perspective is that there's really efficient ways to have authentic face-to-face, quote unquote, interactions with people uh, on these, on the, in these spaces. And so um, as these metaverse technologies become more sophisticated, as our avatars become less cartoony and more realistic, um, there's going to be cost savings, right? Like, why would I pay for a $2,000 flight to Japan to do business overseas um, when I can meet you in the metaverse and have just as authentic of an interaction, right? And so our already globalized economy is going to become increasingly interconnected as a result of the metaverse. And so that's an exciting prospect to me, but kids need to be on the cutting edge of working in 3D environments. So, um, you know, there's some really cool, uh, you know, uh, startups out there now that are educating kids on building virtual worlds. But it's actually much more intuitive to design a 3D world in 3D space than it is to try to do that on 2D space on a flat computer screen monitor. So, uh, you know, the next generation of art, the next generation of building and design is actually happening a lot of times in VR headsets where you put the VR headset on, you have like a stylus and you can draw 3D objects and modify them in three-dimensional space. So these are the cool things that, you know, just, just to name a few coming down the pipe. One more I want to mention, because I just saw a really exciting headline, uh, genomics and aging research, you know, biotech. Mm-hmm. There's this huge biotech revolution that seems to be at the forefront. Uh, they, scientists just claimed that they were able to completely reverse aging in mice. Um, like actually reverse the effects of aging. Like it's, uh, you know, we always thought of aging as this inevitability. Scientists are seeming to uncover that it's actually a technical and engineering problem that they're starting to solve, right? And so, um, you know, what are the ethics of those, the ethical ramifications of of those kind of things? Um, But we need to understand, of course, biology itself, nanotechnology, uh, as well as, again, artificial intelligence to be on the cutting edge of those things. One of the last things I want to mention here, definitely soft skills. You know, a lot of the Gen Z kids I work with might be super, you know, information savvy. They might be super social media savvy, but they may not be able to shake your hand and look you in the eye or speak in front of an audience of 50 people comfortably. And so, you know, as an educator, uh, you know, I always think, uh, how do I, you know, comprehensively augment uh, our kids for the future? Uh, And I think that that old school stuff is still important. Even if you're not speaking in front of 50 people in real life, doing a virtual presentation in 3D space where there's 100 people can be just as nerve wracking in, in a VR headset. So if you can do that in the in the real world, then you, that skill set transfers over to the virtual world. Yeah. And I think maybe depending on our age, it's even more nerve wracking being in a, 
virtual world giving a keynote than it is in real life. But, you know, one of the things I, I think that what I love of, of and I agree with everything that you're saying is, you know, we have this generation that really a majority of them, not all, but a big majority of them grew up with Minecraft. And Minecraft is very much this 3D building world. It's still on a two-dimensional two screen, but I'm seeing kids just understand those spaces. And then when they move to something like Blender, just blows your mind because they've been building with little 8-bit blocks for a really long time already. The other thing I, uh, the other thing I was thinking while you were talking and I just like your, your touch on you know, coding. And I still believe like every kid needs to learn how to code. I don't want every kid to become a coder, but if you understand code just this much, like just so very little, it unlocks because to your point, you now understand what to tell the machine so the machine can do the work. Like you got to understand a little bit. And I still remember when I was in fourth grade and I had kids coding their own websites where they would just change the background color it blew their mind. Like just learning the hex to change the background code. Like these four graders are like, what? And I'm like, you're coding. Like just little little bits uh, just help you understand AI and how things work. Like you don't need to be a, co a coder, but you do got to have an understanding of, of, of a language, right? Of a language. Um, yeah, so cool. I'm so excited for this generation. You know, I mean, they're going to have so many things. And to your point, things are becoming more and more decentralized. You can become very specific. You know, if you just want to talk about space and be a, a science communicator just about Jupiter, you could probably do that. There's a lane for you and Jupiter, right? Uh, so yeah, that's just awesome. You can own that. And I think the coolest thing about Gen Z to me, and again, I've worked with tens of thousands of Gen Z years. I've seen their perspectives across the United States and beyond at this point. Uh, it seems like they are personally invested in solving the problems that we kind of brush under the rug, mm. right? Uh, you know, whether it's climate change, whether it's world hunger, sustainability, um, you know, Gen Z is aware, one, of the power of their voices, right, on social media platforms. Before their voting age, they're aware of this and they can affect change in this way, where it seemed like we couldn't really do anything until we were like 21, right? And so, you know, we look at these problems like, dang, that sucks, really going to suck for the next generation. And Gen Z is like, that's going to suck for us. We're going to do yeah. something about it. And, you know, they have access to the tools. They're quick to learn. Like you said, these new experiences. Blender is another great application kids to be familiar with. Open source, completely free. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they, they're empowered and excited to solve the problems of the future. So I'm just trying to be, you know, an employee of a Gen Z student at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear it. And just trying to be able to still relate to them. I want them to be able to come talk to me. Like, what do I need to know that I don't know? Right? Like, that's 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 the fun part. You know, yeah. you get to stay young that way. <laughs> Surround yourself with young people, you get to stay young. So. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Awesome. Trisha, any last thoughts from you? I mean, I just, I really appreciate you bringing up the soft skills as well. And I think, you know, the, like almost the algorithm for success that you're talking about in a future STEM career, what I really appreciate, and I mean this sincerely, is that you are a role model for having and implementing all of those things. Um, you know, again, teachers who are listening, if you're looking for somebody as that model to share with students, do just point them to the work that Justin's doing. Um, you know, again, those soft skills come across in all of your presentations and your talks. Um, and, and so I kind of think that merger, that holistic look at what the world of STEM is when you overlap it with other literacies, uh, that, that's really powerful. And, and again, just your, your compassion for your audience you know, I think that's another really having that empathy for your audience matters and 
teachers just grab a link to one of Justin's talks and, and it's a wonderful example in motion to show what that means to care very deeply for those who are in your audience. Well, no, I, I really appreciate that, Trisha. And one of the things I always tell kids is, look, you cannot be what you cannot see, right? And so mm -hmm. whether that's you envisioning it in your head or whether that's you literally Google searching a person from your ethnic background that's doing this thing, you can literally find them today, right? Your role yeah. model today is a Google search away. So, I love that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, try to, I try to be the person that I wish I knew when I was a kid, right? This mm. person that's, you know, I, one, I'm talking about STEM, I'm making it cool, but I also live by it. You know, I, I'm working on STEM projects, worked in a number of startups and apps. And I think, you know, that's the most important thing for me is like to stay on the pulse of this stuff. I got to do it too. I got to be a You got to be in it. And yeah. so, um, you know, that's yeah. I just I just want kids to know that look, you can you can do this too. Like this is something that 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 doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, what your skill set is, what you like to do for fun. You can find a home in STEM. I love it, Mister Fascinate. It has been fascinating. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time to to stop by and talk with us here and uh, help to just you know, give some passion to educators and students who are uh, involved instead. We, again, we will have all these links, tons of links down in the show notes for educators to go and push kids to and learn themselves. Uh, Justin, thank you so much again for spending some time with us today. Appreciate you. It's awesome. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.